Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Clap if you're with me. Are you here? New Brunswick Nutley, glad you're here. Morristown, glad you guys are here. Excited because we are in the middle of a three-day liquid fast. Really, our church is doing our own version of the Hunger Games uh, this spring. And uh, really, that's why we're calling the series Revive, because we're fasting, asking God to revive us as a church, revive each of us personally. And this week, over a thousand people fasted on Wednesday. Show of hands. How many of you fasted? Show your hand. Okay. Oh, amazing. It was incredible. How'd it go? Was it hard? You still got headaches, okay? Some of you, you know, you know you were serious. You gave up coffee and carbs for Christ. That's like a big deal, okay, uh, in our neck of the woods. We skipped breakfast, lunch, and dinner on Wednesday, really drinking only water and liquids. The, uh, it's tough to go without solid food that long. Uh, and, and the reality is we, I had to laugh because some people sent me emails. Like, this is really harder than I thought, but I received one email at noon on Wednesday that said, Tim, the fast is working. Tebow's a jet. And they were like, <laughs> I was like, Okay, <laughs> no, it's like, you know, we fast for a day and God brings revival to the, uh, the Jets, you know, uh, a little more than that. It's going to take more than that. Giants fans are like, get behind me, Satan. It's going to be an amazing fall uh, for football, that's for sure. Well, I hope you had a good fast and that you've been uh, kind of chewing on this daily devotional that we're doing as a church. This is all in preparation for Easter on April 8th. Very excited about that because this is where we celebrate the ultimate revival. That's what resurrection is, the resurrection of Jesus, the revival. God brought the dead to life, and we can expect he's going to bring dead people to life on Easter. I hope you are going to be inviting some of your family, some of your friends, neighbors, because um, Colleen and I, we're inviting some of our neighbors. We have, <laughs> there's some guys like painting a, a room in our house, and we're like, hey, do you want to come on Easter? They're like, all right. Uh, anybody who you kind of have favor with, because I'm very excited. God has given me, I, I, think, um, I, think it's a, I think it's a great message. I don't want to be biased. I'm excited because God's, you know, the reason why is because God sometimes speaks messages to me first, you know. He challenges me, stretches my heart, and I'm like, we're going to pr- proclaim the gospel uh, on Easter. And we're going to see people not just from your family, they're going to join the family of God. Amen. So come to church on Easter. Now today, I want to prepare us for this and talk about the kind of prayer that really stirs revival. And our model for this is Moses. God led me to this scripture uh, on the second day of my fast. I hope it will speak to you, especially if you're like, you know, you guys seem all pumped up. I'm not. Uh, you know, you're like, maybe I'm like, you're like, my prayer life is kind of flattened. I, I feel distant from God. You know, I, I don't hear him talking, all of that. Moses is a great model for you this morning because in Exodus 33, Uh, Verse 11, we're told this. It said, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with who? Say it together. His friend. And here's the truth. I have always been jealous of Moses. Because I read that verse. I remember the first time I read it, I thought, that must be amazing. I mean, 
for the familiarity, God talking to you like a friend, like, wow, just imagine that kind of face-to-face intimacy. I've always been jealous of that because most people, honestly, when they pray, they're either too uh, reverent or they're like too meek. They're, they're like too formal. Oh, supreme deity of ages past, thou hast proved thyself. Like, who do you talk like that to in real life? No one. Or they're too meek. It's like, hey, hey God, it's, it's, it's me. Are, are, are you out there? Maybe you have a minute for me. We're either too reverential or too meek. And Moses talked to God like his friend. Face to face, he held nothing back. And Moses made some huge asks. He made these big asks of God, and God responded with great power. He revived the nation of Israel. He freed them from bondage, and he led them to the promised land. And the question is, why Moses? Like, how did this happen? Well, beyond God choosing Moses to be his anointed leader, Moses did a few things that I think you and I would do well to emulate um, this spring as we really seek to know the Lord better. And that's what I want to show you in a message I'm calling, Show Me Your Glory. So take out your Bible, our campuses. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 33. I've been chewing on this passage this spring. I hope it's going to encourage some of you, particularly during your fast this Wednesday. If you haven't done this, by the way, you can still jump on board, okay? Join us on Wednesday. We're fasting solids food, and we're going to do that from sunup to sundown. And then join the rest of our, our church, and we're going to kind of praise and worship God on Wednesday night. We're doing this to work up an appetite for God, to see and know his glory just as Moses craved. So let me, in fact, let me do that. Let me pray for us. God, right now I ask as you open, uh, as we open the Bible, Lord, you have the words of life. Would you feed your people this morning? God, feed me. Feed our souls. Let us, let us be filled up, God. The empty parts of us, the part that feels distant, draw close to us, God. We're seeking you through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go. Exodus 33, we'll start at verse 7, okay? It says the tent of meeting. It says this. Now, Moses uh, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anybody inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and they stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered his tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while, Mo- while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to his tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, didn't leave the tent. And we'll just stop here, and because the first thing we learn is that Moses was a camper. In other words, he had a tent. Do you have a tent? I have a tent. I don't think Moses's was a Dora the Explorer tent, but, uh, but this is a tent that actually my little girl had when she was younger. It's one of those kind of pop-up tents. And basically Moses, whenever he wanted to talk to the Lord, what he would do is he would go out to his tent. And again, it probably wasn't pink or green, but he had this place where he would pull away from the camp. You know what that means? He went away from the crowd to meet with God. This was his special meeting place with the Lord, okay? And here's a question for you. Do you have a special meeting place that you go to to meet with God, to talk to him? Because this is key if you're going to get to know God intimately the way Moses did. Notice where he pitched his tent. It says, verse 7 says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, meaning you need to be away from people if you're going to hear from God. Moses went away from the crowd, away from the noise, away from the people. Think of all the email that came into Moses at Moses.com. He went away from all of that, 
and said, you know, I'm seeking the Lord. And the question is, each of us needs a private place where we seek to hear from our heavenly father. Do you have one? At your home, at your office, I don't know where it is, but or away from the screaming kids. Um, the, the irony of this is that actually this is from my basement, and that's one of my tents of meeting. Uh, oftentimes in the morning, I'll get up early, and I'll go down to our basement because it's the only place I can get away from the kids. And it's funny because it's, it's dark usually in the morning, and it's like a minefield full of Legos and Barbie parts. So I like go down there, it's like, ooh, ow, ow, you know, and, it kinda, and I get down there, and, I, and it's the only place in the house where I can get alone to meet with God first thing in the morning. And what we learn is one of the keys to praying for revival is that you need a tent. You need a designated place where you can meet one-on-one with the Lord, all alone, just you and the Lord. doesn't have to be fancy. doesn't actually have to be permanent. In fact, the beauty of Moses' tent is that it was portable. The tent of meeting was literally a mobile sanctuary. He took it with him wherever he went. Moses is like, okay, I'm going here. I'm going over here. Lord, talk to me in here. I'm getting away from the people over here. And he took this Faith with him wherever he went. Is your faith portable? Do you take it wherever you go? Do you take it to work? Do you have it in your car, okay? The whole idea here is, folks, we need a faith that is portable where you can invoke God's presence and meet with him wherever you are. I have that at home in the basement, and I have it in my office in the carpet. Um, That's my other tent of meeting. Sometimes in the afternoon, I'll just close the door to my office, and I get down on the carpet to pray. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. A lot of times I just lay on my stomach. I'm, I'm reading the Bible and just kind of pray. One time someone poked their head and they're like, dude, are you okay? They felt like I had a heart attack because I'm like laying out on my carpet at the office. But the third place I have, my third tent of meeting is the woods behind my house. This is kind of my favorite spot. It's about a block from our house. Uh, you can see I took these pictures on Thursday just to show you where that is. This is where a lot of times I go with my Bible and my iPad just to chew on some scripture. I'll just talk with God as I'm walking, kind of worship the Lord and for the, you guys who are outdoors people, you know. There's something about being in nature that, that, that really unveils God's glory. Again, doesn't have to be fancy. Do you have a tent? Could be a bedroom. Could be a rec room. Could be your, a quiet classroom at your school, whatever. Moses' tent was portable, and that's how your relationship with God should be. You can take it anywhere with you. That's, it travels, and so your connection doesn't get interrupted. And you know what? That's key, because that's how Moses developed a friendship with God. It's the second thing we glean from Moses' example. He developed a friendship. The Lord would speak to him face-to-face as a man speaks with his friend. In other words, there's familiarity here. Think of your closest friends. Friends feel like they can share anything. Friends like each other. And I'll be honest, I think some of you probably have never even considered the fact that that God actually likes you. Notice I didn't say loves you. You're like, well, I know he's God. He loves me because God has to love me. Have you ever considered the fact that God actually likes who you are, (laughs) likes you, enjoys your presence? I mean, because that's the truth. In the Old Testament, people stood at a distance. They wouldn't dare approach God up close. Moses was the exception. But when Jesus came in the New Testament, he gives his life to restore our relationship with God. He takes all of our sins, all our failings on himself on the cross. And because of that, we can have a restored, dare I say it, friendship with God. In John 15, Jesus said, you are my, what's the word? Friends, if you do what I command. I I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, here it is again, what? Friends, for everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Imagine this. Both God the Father and Jesus' Son calls you friend. They like to be with you. 
They want to reveal their business. They, they actually long to reveal, speak words of, of knowledge and affection to you. And you know what? If you really absorb that in your heart, that will change your whole outlook on prayer and worship. It already is for some of you during this fast. I, I saw this on Wednesday. If you were out on Wednesday night, uh, you know it was a pretty cool. It was a pretty uh, special. We invited everyone at our campuses to come together at 730 uh, just for prayer and worship. We didn't have any sermon or anything. And it, it, we were blown away. Um, we expected a handful of people, but it was standing room only in Morristown, Nutley, and New Brunswick. It was just incredible to see all these people in the middle of the week just hungry for God. People were like, I just want to be in God's presence. They want to worship more. They want to hear from their father. And some of you did. The next morning, I got this email. It says, the worship last night was special. My wife and I had prayed for God to speak to us, and he did. This is an amazing couple. They said, some doors had closed on plans we'd made for our future, and I had been in a slight depression regarding my plans not working. Well, we fasted and prayed, and the Lord reminded me of something he told me in our first year of marriage. Watch this. The worship, while we were physically hungry, opened my heart to be fed the word. I feel restored. Our next fasting time will be focused on my wife. It was a blessing to be in his presence with our liquid body. He heard from God. God spoke to him at the inner places of his heart because he emptied it of all the other stuff. That's what fasting does. That's what prayer does. You know, so many, for so many years, like, candidly, I always felt guilty about prayer. Like, I don't pray enough. I know I should pray more. What if you knew prayer was the place where you received divine guidance from God himself? Because Jesus says, I've called you friends and everything I learned from the Father, I'm making known to you. In other words, would you make time if it was a trusted friend who called you up and said, dude, I have something critical to tell you about your family. I have something critical to tell you about your, your children, about your relationships, about your future. Would you make time to pitch your tent? Yeah, you would. See, the secret of Moses is sometimes you have to withdraw if you're going to advance in key areas of your life. There's no other way to do it. And that's what we do when we seek God through fasting, prayer, and worship. God is saying to you, he's saying, come here, come, come away with me. Get in the tent. Renew our friendship. I have things to tell you. And what God wants to tell us, rather what he told Moses, what he showed Moses, will blow your mind. The, the text says that whenever Moses went into his tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with him. And this is hard for us to envision. But in the Old Testament, God would appear in a pillar of cloud. I want you to imagine this, a huge being in a cloud, a huge smoke, you know, even thicker. Think of, think of like, have you ever gone flying? Like I, I was flying out of uh, Newark into Charlotte and I was taking off from Newark and our plane go, kind of goes straight up and I'm looking out the side and everything's brown, you know? It's like, oh, the Meadowlands, oh, you know, the oil refineries, oh, Broadway State Prison, you know, and it's like all brown, but then all of a sudden, pfft, white out, everything turned white. And uh, the plane kind of had pierced the cloud cover. And at first, you know, it's a little bit like, where are we? Because then there's a little bit of rain, some, some turbulence and stuff. But the minute you get through the cloud, where are you? You see what? Boom, brilliant blue sky, right? You're, you're out there. It's like heaven. And it says, this pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance of Moses' tent while the Lord spoke with him. Now, what is this cloud about? Some of you have heard of this all your life, and you're like, I don't know. Just God appears in a cloud. What's it, what's it hiding? I'm going to unlock this for you. This is amazing. The secret to this is in the next verse where it says, Moses and the glory of the Lord. So look at verse 12. It says this. Moses said to the Lord, he's talking to the cloud, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you've found favor with me. He goes, I know I'm your friend. 
If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So Moses is praying what any leader prays. He's like, these are your people, Lord. I don't know how to lead them. Would you show me how to lead them? I pray this all the time. A lot of times I'm praying for you in the woods. I'm like, God, you, 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 for some reason you put me in the position of leading this church as the lead pastor, but they're your people. Sh- show me how to lead them. He's asking for guidance. Now watch this, verse 15, or verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And then Moses said to him, good, because if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. In other words, if you don't go with us, don't bother. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you yourself go with us? What else would distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you asked because I am pleased with you. I like you. You're my friend and I know you by name. Twice God says this. I know you by name. There's intimacy here. You see this? Now verse 18, this is big. This is the big ask. So Moses said, now show me your what? Show me your glory. And the Lord said, okay, look at verse 19. I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Because I have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, so there's a place near me where you can stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I'm going to put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. What's going on here? I can't wait to show you this. Moses is a man among men. This guy prayed big prayers. I mean, you may have prayed some big prayers or made some big requests of God in your life, but I guarantee none of them approached what Moses asked in verse 18. He said, Lord, would you show me your what? Show me your glory. This, you can underline this in your Bible. You are granted absolution right in your Bible. This is the riskiest prayer in the entire canon of scripture. There's nothing more risky than this prayer in the Bible. In essence, Moses was like, I want to see with my eyes the manifest glory of God. I want to see evidence with my human eyes that you are with me. Show me your glory. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to some of you because you're like, show me your glory. Like, what's, what's the big deal about that? You say glory. We don't understand what glory is, okay? That's the key. What's glory? Some of you are like, it's this abstract word. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod. Can we say this? Kavod. The B sounds like a V, kavod, and it means weighty, heavy, beautiful. It's something so brilliant that it's almost overwhelming. And in verse 19, God says, okay, you want to see my glory or my goodness? And then he talks about being merciful and compassionate to people. And that's what God's glory is. It's his goodness, It is his beauty. It is his splendor. And here's the catch. Listen to me. God's glory is deeper and more brilliant and more powerful and more holy than you or I can imagine in our mind's eye. So when God says, show me, show me your glory, Moses says, this is a risky ask because God says, no one can see me and live. In other words, if you were to pray this prayer, God's like, my goodness, my beauty, my glory is so white hot. It is so brilliant and blindingly good that although you're my friend, although you were friends, you are so flawed and you are so sinful and you are so vulnerable by contrast that if my kavod, my glory were unveiled, it would literally blind you. 
Kavod! Glory. Think about this. God is good, but God is also dangerous. We are his friends, but the Lord is also to be feared. And his glory burns white hot. His goodness is blinding to the point where you or I would actually melt in his presence. And yet Moses has the spiritual courage to say, show me your glory. Kavod. You know the Apostle Paul said? He described God this way. He said, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives where? In unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. In other words, God lives in unapproachable light. That is the physical manifestation of his glory, his goodness. It is pure, it is powerful, it is white hot, and were we to look at her unfiltered, it would literally kill us. Kavod! The glory of God almost killed Paul. Think of what the glory of God did to Paul. He's walking on the way to Damascus. Boom! It blinded him for three days because he saw the kavod of God. And it changed his life forever. Show me your I'll spare you. <laughs> Some of you are seeing spots at this point. I, I understand. I don't want to like, trigger a migraine. Let, let's stay in the cloud. It's safe in the cloud. Let's get back to the cloud. What was the cloud for? The cloud is for your protection. The pillar is for our protection. God says, John says, God's light in him, no darkness dwells. So the idea is if you or I actually saw the unveiled glory of God in our fallen human condition, we'd be dead. God said, no one may see me and live. In Romans 3, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God, the kavod of God. We fall so short of it that we're our human, frail, broken, all of our bad motivations, all of our ways we fall short. If, if we were actually in God's presence, boom, gone, vaporized. Now, just stop. This is heavy stuff. And we typically think of God's wrath this way, that God's wrath is capable of destroying someone. But this isn't talking about his wrath. This is saying God's goodness would kill you. That's the weight, the weight of kavod. God's glory is his brilliant character, his perfect justice, his forgiveness of sins, his compassion for people who are humble, and yet his judgment for those who are proud. I want you to think of it this way. It's like you are friends with a nuclear reactor. <laughs> okay. It's like, have you ever seen it inside a nuclear reactor? All right, take a look at this. This is a shot of the advanced test reactor in Idaho where our military tests nuclear materials. It's actually quite beautiful. The color, if this is actually a peach inside the window of the reactor, and you can see this otherworldly blue, this color blue exists nowhere else on the face of the planet. This color only occurs when proton particles exceed the speed of light from a nuclear reaction. It, and, and it's like a sonic boom for light, Okay. Now, I want you to imagine going to this test reactor in Idaho and putting your face against the glass and looking in. You'd probably take out your iPhone and say, that's pretty. I'm going to take a picture of that. That is dazzling. Look at, look at that. I've never, I'm going I'm I'm to Twitter this. And, you're, and, it, and all of a sudden, the glass starts going. It goes, and it shattered. What would be the result? Bye-bye. Instant death to the entire Midwest that beautiful glowing blue light would come flooding out in an instant, destroy everything in its path with nuclear radiation. That's what God's glory is like. It inspires both awe, oh, it's beautiful, and terror to be feared. 
all for those of us who are his friends. Praise God, you're all powerful. And terror to those who are his enemies. All in terror. God is good and God is dangerous. His power and his holiness are unapproachable. And yet by his goodness in Christ, he calls you friend. And Moses says to his friend, show me your glory. Take away the glass. Take away the cloud. This is a huge request. Show me your glory. This is not like asking your friend, hey, can I see your tattoo? This is not that. Show me your glory, Moses Christ. Even if it destroys me, it will be worth it to glimpse your goodness for myself. Let me see your beauty close up. Even though your radiance may actually melt me, it'll be worth it if it's the last thing I see on this earth before leaving the world. Whoa. This is a passionate prayer right here. Amen? This is a white-hot prayer. This is risky. This is intense. And my question is, do you have that heat in your prayers? Do you have that hunger when you pray? To know God? To experience his presence? To actually see his glory? That's the heartbeat behind revival, guys. It is a desire above all else to see the glory of God on display. I I think one of the reasons our prayer lines flatline or or, or our prayer lives sputter out kind of is that we're content to stay in the cloud. (laughs) We don't want to get all of God or better. We don't want God to get all of us. So we stay in the cloud, safe, out of distance. And we wonder why, I don't know, things are cloudy, sort of unclear. I don't feel like God's talking to me. Moses is like, I'm not content with the cloud. He said, Lord, I want you to come in to my tent. I want to see your face. I want to know you. I want, to, I want to know you, God, for who you are. Would you take away the cloud? Would you show me your glory? Show it to me. Let me see you. God's glory is a brilliant thing. And I'm guessing right now some of you are blind to it, while others of you are hungry for it. You're like, I am dialing in here. I know there's more for me. I know God has more for me. He wants to reveal things to me. I know. God's changing some of your hearts to this fasting experience. They're becoming less about what you want God to do for you and more about just seeking God himself. Just a hunger to to live in his presence and experience it in a new way. You're starting to pray like Moses, show me your glory. I want to see your face. He has to see his face. What's significant about his face? In Hebrew culture, the face was considered the essence of a person. God's like, no one can see my face and live. And so he says to Moses, so here's what I'll do. There's a place near, uh, near me where you can stand, and you can stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. In other words, he's like, I'm going to put you in a crack there, but then I'll remove my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. I think it's significant that Moses prayed, God, I want to see your face, not just your finger. Some prayers are are for God to move his finger, and some prayers are like, I want to see your face, God. You know the difference between the finger and the face? When you pray and seek God's finger is when you pray and say, God, I want you to do stuff for me. Would you you lift your finger and put your your touch on this situation? Would you heal that person? Would you perform a miracle in this crisis? It's, it's, it's It's a request. God, show me your power. Move powerfully. And you know what? Those are fine prayers. Those are great prayers. But God's favorite prayer is not when his children seek his finger. It's when we seek his face. We just want to be with him because we seek him for who he is, not just what he can do for us. That's a step towards a deepening friendship, guys. Seeking God's face for that, that itself. That's an end of itself. That's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of, of friendship. When my daughter Chase was five years old, 
uh, she often came to me with requests for help. It, was always, it always started this kind of way, like, hey, Daddy, can you, you know, set up my tent? Daddy, can you buy me a Barbie? Daddy, can you fix my bike? Daddy, can you know, help me with my homework? She was always seeking my finger primarily. She was five years old, and of course, I'm her father. I'm happy to help her, but now she's turning 10. And so the other night, I'm sitting on the couch. I'm kind of like watching, you know, Sports Center, and she comes into the living room, and she's walking through, and she sees me, and she goes, and she goes into a basket and gets out a blanket, and she brings it over, puts it around us, and snuggles into me. And I'm like, I'm watching Sports Center, so I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, like, why, why are you going here? And she goes, nothing, Daddy. I just like to be with you. All right? That warmed my heart, yeah? My, my child just wants to be with me for who I am. Who am I? I am her loving, all-powerful father. She thinks I can do anything. But she wasn't after me for what I could do for her. She sought my face. I just want to be with you, not my finger. That's a sign of maturity. That's deepening a relationship. When my daughter gets older, I want to have a friendship with her. I think that's how God feels. When, we, when his children come to him and we simply just want to be in his presence. Come to my tent, Lord. I want to see your face. I just want to know you for who you are. And when we express to him our love, our respect, our, our worship, it warms his heart. The ironic thing is that as, as Chase is, is sitting there, so like, you know, Sports Center is over, and we're just enjoying each other's company. About 30 minutes later, I actually get up, and I'm like, hey, do you want to have a catch? And she's like, yeah. You know, I caught your softball. In other words, suddenly my fingers moved, and I want to do something that, she know, that, that I know that she really enjoys. That's how prayer works. We spend time seeking the Father's face because we enjoy being with him. And out of that, he is moved powerfully on our behalf. He says, I'm going to reveal new things to you. I'm going to show you my glory. That's what he did for Moses. Because Moses sought his face, not just his finger. And eventually, Moses' prayer came true. Moses saw the face of God. You're like, well, wait, wait a minute. I thought he couldn't see his face. I thought he was in the crack of the rock. No, he saw the face of God eventually. Where? Not in the Old Testament, but in the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 17 says Jesus went up on a mountain with his followers, and there he was transfigured before them. Let's read this together. Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Glory in the face of Jesus. We see the face of God himself, the glory of God. And just then... There appeared who? Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. God hasn't answered your prayer? Guess what? Some prayers take a long time to answer. (laughs) 3,000 years passed from Moses' original prayer to show me your glory. God, I want to see your face. And that prayer was answered when he saw the face of Jesus Christ. Glory. And folks, this is critical. You dare not ask to see God's glory unless it is in the face of Jesus It is the only way that you can come to God and live. In the Old Testament, God says, no one can see my face and live because of your your, your fallenness, your sin. That's what we call it in the church. You know what it is? Your bentness, your frame is crooked. We fall so short of God, even not just our actions. I'm not talking about external stuff like, oh, I know, you know, my, you know, drinking and swearing and that sort of stuff. No, I'm talking about the internal stuff, the pride. That says, I don't need this God business, or I'll do a little bit of God on the side, whatever. And his glory is like white hot, and it's like, I I can't even tolerate that. God's wrath literally would destroy any mortals in an instant. That's the bad news. The good news in the New Testament is that God came down to our tent. In the New Testament, God took on flesh, and he said, I'm going to tent among you. And he pokes his head in our tent. 
And out of love, Christ sees you and he says, I see all your brokenness, but I'm going to embrace you. I want to take on all your sin so that you can have the forgiveness and friendship of the Father and see God's glory. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our rebellion on himself. And he took the punishment we deserved. He took it out of the camp. And instead of judgment, we get glory. He's pinned to a Roman cross. God pours out the wrath on him. And if you are humbled by that, like what God would do for you, if you repent of that, you know what Jesus says? I'm going to pour out love and forgiveness. And you're going to see the glory of God in your life. You're going to become more like me. The cross is God's greatest glory, kavod. And when Moses saw Jesus, he saw the face of God himself. Jesus Christ, he died for your justification, make you right with God. And you know why he rose? For your glorification, so you can become like him. Friends, there is no better picture of the kavod of God than Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the glorious one, face like the sun, clothes white hot, the radiance of the Father reflected in the face of the sun. When you spend time, some of you right now, you feel that stirring. You're like, Jesus, I need more of you. Or, or you've never humbled yourself. And you're like, I, I don't want to burn. I, I, I want God's presence to burn in me. You know what? That's what glory does. When you look at his sacrifice and, and, and you grasp the love in Christ's eyes, the blood on his brow, it melts you. It transforms you. It'll change your face. <laughs> it's interesting. Whenever God spoke to Moses, you know what happened to his face? It glowed. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he wasn't aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. In other words, his face was literally glowing. His, his, God's glory was so powerful, Moses like absorbed its radiation. And he comes down, and his face is glowing, and it freaked the Israelites, the Israelites out. The Israelites were like, put a bag on your head. We can't look at you. And Moses put a veil over his face. And you know what? The, tr- the secret of this is this. I tell you this. Because if you spend time in your tent with Jesus Christ, God's glory will rub off on you. It will change your countenance. It will change the way that you look at things. It will change the way people look at you. It happened to me this week. So on Thursday, I go out to the woods with my tent. I don't actually have a tent, but I just go out there to, you know, spend some time with God. And it was interesting because um, our son has been having a rough spring at, uh, at school. Gotten some, you know, negative feedback, some just, you know, challenging reports. And it's really got my wife, Colleen, down. Just kind of, you know, deflated her spirit a bit. And she was kind of distraught that morning. And, um, and so candidly, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going out. I'm going to be writing a message. So I'm, I go out to the woods because I just spend time with God first. And, um, and I'm out, just out there in the woods. I'm in my tent, you know, talking with God, saying, hey, Lord, Father, reveal your business. How can I do your will today? And I'm walking and I'm praying. And I get this distinct impression, Tim, I want you to go back home. Like the spirit was saying, don't leave your wife behind. And candidly, she was a little upset, and I kind of like being in the woods. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's kind of like my MO. If you have an upset spouse, it's kind of like, no, I'll just go hang out, you know. So, so I pressed in, and I was like, you know, God, really? And it was like Christ was saying, I want you to go back for her, Tim. I want you to do for her what I do for you every morning. Why do you come here? I was like, well, Lord, just, just to be loved on by you. And God, he goes, that's what I want you to do. I want you to love that woman. I want, you know, in her, in her, in her weakness, I come, I, in your weakness, I come and lift you up. When you're hurting, I show compassion to you. And that's what I want you to do for her. So I went back, and there she was, and I could see she was hurting. And God gave me this power to actually lean in and actually say, you know, what, what's going on? And the floodgates just kind of opened. It was very beautiful. We just shared hearts, and she's like, you know, she goes, I'm, a, I'm upset about this situation, you know, at school with our son. And then, and then yeah, I'm even more upset at you. You just kind of leave this whole stupid fast, you know, this whole <laughs> 
And I, I just, you know, I, I, I felt God prompting me because typically I'm like, oh, conflict. I go the other way. But I felt like God said, lean in, Tim. And I know that's not my voice. And it was healing. Man, it was a tender moment. That's a gift from God. And can I be honest? That never would have happened if I hadn't spent time in the tent with the Lord that morning. It just wouldn't. That's not naturally me. Typically when there's conflict, my MO is to withdraw. But Jesus said, I want you to lean in because that's my girl. She's my daughter. I want you to be Jesus to her. And his words began soaking into my being. And guess what? In the woods, my heart starts melting and I'm sensitized how I can be Jesus to my wife. And when I came back from the woods, I was different. I was changed. I'd been in the tent with Jesus. And guess what? I began reflecting his glory. It was in my face. Some of you who are married know this. It's funny. Colleen says that. Colleen always says, I can tell when you've been with Jesus. Like, is this the Tim Tim or is this the Jesus Tim? Which one is this? You know? That's true. You can see it. Some of you know this when you come out of your quiet time. Once when the disciples were out preaching, they got hauled into court and and they looked at these fishermen who were like ordinary guys and they were like on fire. And it says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In other words, when you spend time in the presence of God himself, people can tell it's obvious. You absorb his glory. You begin to radiate his goodness. You make choices that you wouldn't make. You begin to emulate his sacrifice. You reflect his compassion, even if you're not a compassionate person. And it's glorious. Because let me tell you something. When God gets a hold of a man or woman, and his life becomes our life, and Jesus pours out of us, it's a glorious thing. Because Jesus loved the poor and he healed the sick. It was glory. He cast out demons. He calmed the sea. Glory. He destroyed religion. He raised the dead. Glory. He climbs the cross. He conquers the grave. Glory. 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 Kavod. Our church needs more glory. Amen. We need to have the presence of God, of Jesus Christ in us. When God's glory grips a church, when it invades the church, people change. If you experience God's glory in worship, you will be ruined to everything we've known as a church. It won't be like three songs and we're done. Your worship will change. You're like, I want God's presence in worship. Your relationships will change. I want Jesus in my marriage. You'll repent. There'll be this heartfelt weeping because you become painfully aware of all the ways we fall short of God's glory. That's what Kavod does. It exposes us. Not just the external, but the internal stuff. The lusts, the pride. The anger, the jealousies, all that stuff we carry around. Some of us are so consumed by our own glory during the week. Forget God. I want to look good. But if God's glory came, kabod, he'd burn it all away. Revival begins with repentance. And it explodes into worship. The effect is that you become humbler and bolder at the same time. That's what I want for our church. And this Wednesday night, I want to invite some of you to come out of the cloud. Step out of your cloud and join me as we seek the glory of God. We're coming together at 7.30 on Wednesday night at every liquid campus. No sermon, just to be in the presence of God and lift up the name of Jesus. It was powerful last week. And this week, we're going to change it a little bit. We're going to specifically pray for two things. One, that our Easter services will be particularly anointed. That the truth of the gospel will be... extremely vivid and and spiritually real to everyone who's visiting. Because I know some of you are bringing family and friends and I want to present the gospel in a spirit-inspired way so that would be palpable to them. And they're like, holy smokes, I came to get an Easter egg and I found Christ. They were in your family, but now they're in the family of God. Second thing we're going to pray for is that some of you will get baptized this spring. That is something I'm fasting for at every one of our campuses. If you've never publicly declared, given your testimony, that's one of the ways you bring glory to God. 
you share what he's done in your life. Not that it's perfect, but you're asking for more of Jesus in you. That's what baptism is. Our next baptism is that Sunday after April, or, or after Easter, April 15th. And you know what? How better way to celebrate new life? You're giving glory to God. Whenever you look at these pictures, show the pictures, by the way. Notice the glory on people's faces. That's why I'm always like, woo! You know how my face is always like, ah! I get pumped, man, because I look at these things. I'm like, look at her. It's not just like, I'm wet. She's feeling the glory of God. She feels the Father's pleasure. That's what baptism is. Gosh, jump in the tank with us. Get baptized after Easter. I am pumped about this. Anyone else ready for more? You want more glory? Let's hear this. In the church. In the church. That's what I want to do right now. I want to invite God's glory just to invade our presence as we worship together. So would you just bow your heads, all our campuses. Father God, glory to Jesus. Glory to Christ in his church. God, we're your bride. We wear filthy rags, and yet you say you love us, and you're purifying us. And God, we want to just open ourselves now to whatever you have for us. We open our hands, Lord. We open our hands. If you want more of God's glory in your life, you're like, I got to hear from the Father. Would you shoot your hand up? I want to pray for you. Shoot your hands up, both hands up. I want to open up your hands to God right now. Oh, a sea of hands, hands all over the place. God, hands going up at all of our campuses. We're opening our hands in surrender and asking more, more, Lord, more glory. May your glory come down. We pray as Moses did. Show us your glory and we'll be changed. Let us see the goodness of Christ. Let us see the cross. Let it pierce our heart in a new way here at Easter. Prepare us, Father, to receive your spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.